I want to thank our sponsor, Aviate Watches, who create timepieces to seek the honour of both the aircraft and the untold story of the airmen who have dedicated themselves both in and out of the cockpit to bring these incredible machines to life. They give the customer a deeper look into the shape and form of an aircraft and tell some of the incredible stories behind aviation to help draw out the brand. The vision is to produce watches that are functional yet enjoyable to wear, which also tell a story of both man and machine. Make sure you head to their website at aviate.com to check out all their amazing timepieces. Thank you and enjoy. I was put in front of the television while my mum did the windows and uh, I watched uh, Buccaneers bombing the Torrey Canyon. Uh, and at the same time, of course, we had all the Apollo uh, moonshot stuff was going on as well, or about to be, uh, in 67, 68, so it was the Gemini programme and Mercury and all that stuff was going on, so I was really interested in it. Uh, but really, watching the Buccaneers do the attack on the Torrey Canyon, and little did I know that I'd end up flying the exact same aeroplanes 20 years later. That's cool. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so it was a, a, a journey by passage, really, for me. You know, it was uh, inevitable that I'd end up flying the Buccaneer. Yeah. So why did you choose the RAF at first rather than the Navy? Um, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and I didn't really care which force uh, would have me, and the first that would... Uh, I'd join, but I really wanted to fly the Lightning, so only the Air Force flew the Lightning, and so the Lightning was what I wanted to uh, to be uh, able to fly before it went out of service. Mm -hmm. So the Air Force was really the most of the attractive um, options for me. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us some of the aircraft you started training on? Uh, I started straight to the Jet Provost, Jet Provost Mark III at Linton on Ouse. Um, it was a mixed course. Some of the half of the course had done University Air Squadron, and so they'd done the course already, but on the Bulldog. And the rest of us were all council house kids, and uh, we went straight without any degrees or anything. And so when we first got there, we were the runts of the litter. We were scoring all the low marks, but we were working really hard not to. Mm -hmm. So uh, at some point, of course, you start doing things that the other team hadn't experienced, and now it's an, a level playing field. Only we're now working really hard and fast. And, uh, and so we were able to catch up. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a lot of people go fast jets from our course. I think there were 18 and 15 went fast jets, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, a very... Um, successful course in that regard. Mm -hmm. And you got selected to obviously fly the Buccaneer. How did you feel about this? Uh, distraught. <laughs> um, I'd volunteered to go to the Lightning. Uh, the last Lightning course was a, a course ahead of me at Brody. So I said, well, they really don't want to fly it, so can I go? And they said, no, you'll go where you're told. And I thought, oh, OK, well, I'd like the Harrier then, if that's the case. And then it doesn't matter where you want to go, the Air Force will put you where it thinks you need to go. And so uh, I ended up getting posted to the Buccaneer with another two guys off my course, which was unheard of. Normally it was one place per course, and we had three. Um, but it was good because we were pretty close friends anyway. And uh, so we went on the disastrous journey together. But once we flew it, we thought, hang on. There's something about this aeroplane. It's a monster, and below 300 knots, it was horrible. Uh, but you know, one knot above 300 knots, different. Just one knot. Just one knot. I mean, you were 300 knots, and it just seemed to click into this amazing machine that was super fast, super stable, super low. And you know, we all love low flying, <laughs> and uh, 
nobody's ever flown under a buccaneer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was the role of the buccaneer when you joined? Uh, it was nuclear strike in terms of maritime. So it, remember, it was the Cold War, and we didn't really want to start throwing nukes around unless we really had to. And so it was seen that a good option to dissuade somebody from carrying on with what they're doing was to nuke them at sea. So nuclear strike, maritime nuclear strike was the main role. But at the same time, uh, the Russians had built a marvellous cruiser called the Kirov class. Mm -hmm. And so the squadron I went to was 208 and it flew the uh, Mark II Buccaneer uh, B model with all the inertial na navigation systems, which were very new at the time, mm -hmm. um, so that we could support the Sea Eagle missile, which was an amazing missile. How it went out of service, I don't know. An island nation without an ability to sink ships from the air. It's crazy, isn't it? Is, uh, <laughs> is odd. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's the decision that was made. But we flew six ships with four missiles per aeroplane, so 24 missiles, and we would regularly get them within 10 seconds over the target from 90 degree angles fired from 55 miles uh, out yeah absolutely it is so what yeah. was it like what the strengths and weaknesses would you say of the aircraft uh, age and the airframe was really um starting to get too tired for what it was aiming to achieve uh, a fast jet that's limited on its number of uh, pulls of 4g was a limiting factor Although I did manage to pull one past 9G once avoiding the ground. So it could do it if it wanted to. Um, not a broken one when you come back? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 totally. Um, but, um, and that was in the Gilroy bombing competition with uh, Fat Boy ba Davis in the back. And uh, we had some sort of event as we were doing a steep dive. Well, it's a shallow dive. It looks steep to me because it went really steep. Uh, and so I backstopped the story because... Um, in the early days of the Buccaneer, fitting conformal wing tanks meant it was a little bit dodgy firing off the catapult. So the beauty of the aeroplane was that it was so strong and we decided that we would use the conformal wing tanks because we weren't being punched off the front of aircraft carriers anymore. So we'd be able to use those fuel tanks. But what it gave us was a G-tuck. So if you pull too much G, it would add another three all on its own all of a sudden. When I went to pull 9G to avoid the ground, those wing tanks gave me extra, and that's what stopped us from hitting the ground. Wow. So had we not had the conformals, I wouldn't have been here today, and neither would Fatboy, that's for certain. <laughs> so. so how did you find working <coughs> with an navigator? Fantastic. Um, most of my flying career was spent you know, in two-seat aeroplanes, and it's really true that the sum of the parts uh, is greater than the individual mm. constituents. And... Of course, you had to work hard at getting that crew cooperation going, uh, but we were selected for, the, for that reason, so we were able to. Um, getting on with people in a cockpit is an art form. It's not easy, and it's a, um, a perishable skill, so you have to practice it. Mm -hmm. um, but when a crew is really clicking, then there's nothing that you can't achieve, and, mm -hmm. or solve. Remember, it's the problem-solving that's the, the difficult bit, and you have to maintain the day job, and you have to keep the aircraft doing it, what it's doing at the moment, and add that level of um, decision-making and leadership throughout. And it can be the pilot or it can be the navigator that takes over that part of the, mm -hmm. the leadership role. Mm -hmm. You know, right, I've got the picture, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine, I'll get that, let's mm -hmm. do that. What uh, squadrons were you based with on the Buccaneer? Uh, just 208. Um, 
So I got retoured to the Buccaneer, actually. I did uh, the first tour, and then that tour was elongated by another year and a half. So I was very lucky. Uh, I thought 208 was a fantastic squadron, and uh, I was lucky enough to serve on it again when I was a Hawk weapons instructor. Mm -hmm. um, I was a flight commander on 208 when it flew the Hawk at Valley. Mm -hmm. So I had, in effect, three tours on... Uh, not quite three tours because the the bit on 208 was very short-lived mm. uh, i was then sent to 74 squadron at valley um on the other side of the runway again for only six months and then to 19 squadron which was the central flying school squadron so you probably have loads but can you share maybe a memorable story from your time on the buccaneer uh, we had a squadron exchange with the um, canadians at baden solingen and they came over to fly with us at Lossiemouth. And one of the things that we found was that we had to go some distance away to be able to attack ships. So the F-18 that they were flying didn't have quite the range to get all the way to the ships that we were attacking. So we did tactics against trawlers and merchantmen that were coming around the top of uh, Scotland rather than as far as we normally go, which is halfway to Iceland. That would be our normal hunting grounds. Um, but on this occasion, to give them the chance, we would only go half as far. And they had found that because the Buccaneer is so fast, as soon as we get any sort of rackets from uh, an F-18 fighter, we would all just disperse. So a six ship would just detonate and we'd all go to the target a different way. But we'd all arrive at the same point at, in space at the same time, which was really weird. But we had the best navigators in the world, certainly on the, on the Buccaneer. And so they could get us all back together again just in time to pull up for the attack. If it was a laser-guided bomb attack or if it was Seagull missiles, we'd all arrive and fire our missiles and still achieve what we called salvo compression over the target. Now, the F-18s, their job was to stop us. And these Canadian pilots had come from Germany. We'd taken them on plenty of uh, boozy uh, whiskey trails and all the other things that we do with visitors up in Scotland. But really, they wanted to get in amongst the uh, the buccaneers. On the very last day, we were putting up a four-ship, and it was led by uh, a really great pilot from the buccaneer, a guy called John Tate. Uh, he was a QY, and uh, I was leading the back pair, as it happened. So I was the number three in this case, so deputy lead for him. And we're going down the runway, and we're about 30 seconds behind, so the, the lead pair just get, gets airborne. And straight away, John calls duck. And that means get low as you can, get as low. As, and I'm thinking, I'm on the runway here. The only way I can get lower is by bringing the gear up. <laughs> and that's then going to get a bit noisy. So I don't want to do that. So as soon as we get airborne, we just stay pretty much level and go across the golf course really, really low. And ahead of me, I can see uh, John and uh, his dash two have widened uh, to get some cross support for each other. And so I do the same with my pair at the back. Now, remember, we've got very, very low with quite long wings. So the wingtips are really, really low at this point. And so we get into what we call defensive card and we race out over the sea. And it's then that I get rackets from an F-18. So somebody's trying to shoot me. Uh, but we're so low and we're in formation and it's almost on the beam anyway. And then we lose them. They, all, they both drop off, both of the, uh, the fighters that were against us. And we never saw them again. That was it. That was the end of, uh, of the day for them. And then when we got to the debrief, we were all a bit concerned. You know, why did you choose to do that? That was stupid. You know, why don't you go out into the area and get some flying done? And the answer was, well, we've done that all week and we didn't get to shoot you. So we thought the only way we could is when you were your most vulnerable. And then we couldn't. And then the uh, 
the flight lead said, and I came into the fight looking for you guys, and I got a sniff of you on the radar. I looked down, and there you were, all four of you, hoovering along the top of the water, leaving marks on the water. So I came through the flight going. <laughs> I took my hands off the controls, and all I did was clap. And that was the last time we saw the... Uh, the F-18s from the Canadians that week. Well, and that's, that was a typical sort of story for, for the time, to be honest. And we used to fly in some really strong winds as well. Uh, and I remember where the helicopter couldn't go flying because it was too windy for them to spread their rotors. But, and they were saying to us, look, if you guys eject while you're out over the sea, we're not coming for you. <laughs> and, uh, oh well. <laughs> what a great story. There we are. <laughs> Then you moved on to the Tornado. How did you feel about this? Um, it would have been great. I mean, we were looking to take the tactics that we'd established in the Buccaneer over to the Tornado. The Tornado was a spaceship. I mean, an amazing aeroplane, great pedigree, great fighting aeroplane, great bomber. But it couldn't carry quite as much, quite as far. Um, I'm sure there'll be Tornado people who say, yes, we can, yes, we can, yes, we could. And that isn't true at all. I mean, the, to the Tornado could only carry two missiles. We could carry four and we could fly up to 40,000 feet, whereas the Tornado with two Seagulls on and two big Hindenburgs could probably get to 17 to 20,000 feet, mm. therefore not get as far. So half the load, probably two thirds of the distance, not really a maritime strike platform uh, for the Seagull missile, not a matched platform. Mm. However, what it really did bring was an amazing bomber um, with amazing kit. I mean, it, both aircraft, both the Buccaneer and the Tornado, both joined as the best in their class and left best in their class. Mm -hmm. So the best maritime strike attack aircraft ever was the Buccaneer. I know A6 pilots might argue with that, but I think it's fair to say that whenever we joined up with those guys, um, there was a mutual respect, but the Buccaneer was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but the Tornado was the best bomber in its class by far. And I love flying the Tornado. Tornado was a spaceship, um, but it wasn't quite the classic that the Buccaneer was. Mm -hmm. And it never quite felt that you could fly it quite so low, but you could fly very low in a Tornado. Yeah. So how did you get used to the uh, wing sweep? Um, well, the wings buzz if you forget it. So that was always helpful for me. The thing that was really hard for me was always to manoeuvre, use the manoeuvre flaps, because you'd go into a turn and you'd have to drop your thumb on, your, on the throttles on your left thumb. And you'd have to remember that every time you turned, you pushed your thumb down and the manoeuvre flaps would come out. They actually, they're slats. And you'd start the turn. And then when you rolled out, you'd have to bring them up. Otherwise you're going to be using fuel and you know, you'd be uh, inefficient. Um, and if you were running away, you'd put the display wing in at 63 or 67, depending on what size fuel tanks you had, and off you'd go. Um, but I always felt that when the aircraft had the wings fully back, there was a little bit of a nod. The nose would go up and down a little bit, a bit of a fugoid, I think they're called, um, which is always a bit disconcerting when you're trying to get really, really low, but you still could. Um, probably not as comfortably as the buck. Of course. <laughs> but uh, how long did you spend on the Tornado? Um, nearly four years, just over four years, in fact. Um, fair, fair yeah, on 27 and 12 Squadron. So I did the attack game on uh, 27, did Operation Dural twice and Operation Warden, uh, with 12 Squadron, actually, Operation Warden. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of experience from doing that and uh, did TLP 
the tactical leadership program at Floren, which was a really interesting one because we were in a tornado, but it was a close air support um, TLP. So it, it prioritised on CAS and the, the tornado at the time wasn't a, a CAS platform at all. So that's where the two uh, crew concept really comes into its own when you're doing a job that you know would max out two people, um, let alone one. Um, and the aeroplane was always working against us for CAS. Um, but you know we learned a lot and uh, we were able to bring back a lot of that experience and, uh, and it then diffused into the wider community. But you briefly mentioned earlier your time in the Hawk. Can you tell us about that? The Hawk is an amazing aeroplane. It's a little Ferrari. It really is. I've heard that all the time. Every time I speak about the Hawk to a pilot, <laughs> I love it. It was. Um, it will. It will become in later years a an icon of its time. Um, people talk about the Spitfire. I've never flown a Spitfire. Uh, I will one day, I'm sure. But the. Uh, they always say that you just think where you want to go to, and the aircraft will take you there. Well, that's the Hawk. I don't, you don't need to show me that. I've seen that. That's what the Hawk does. So it was a little nose-pointing, great fighter. And in fact, my favourite trip in my entire career was on the QI up phase. And there are eight guys on this planet that were um, flying Hawks that day. And we all think that was our best ever flight from all of the different aeroplane types that we ever did. Oh. And it, we called it the Battle of Umbungo Gorge <laughs> because we ended up with 30 aeroplanes in one valley and only we knew what was going on uh, because uh, we knew nothing. So we were able to see everything. Whereas all these people with all this extra data and links and stuff, it was all breaking down. And so it was, it was sapping their ability to think. Whereas we had nothing, all we could see, do was use our Mark 1 eyeball and we could see everything because we were as low as you like underneath uh, the weather, but looking up at everybody and uh, we cleaned up. Mm -hmm. really so was it good up at height as well, the hawk? Yeah, the wing was super. In fact, they used to put things on the front of the wing so that the students didn't kill themselves in it. Um, little Toblerones to give it more buffet. So the wing was super good. It wasn't as good as the Alpha Jet from people who have flown both. I think the Alpha Jet probably had the edge on it a little bit in terms of turning fight. But if you think um, something's better than you in a Hawk in a turning fight, then I'd like to see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could do an awful lot with the uh, with the Hawk, especially on the QY up phase. I mean, with the uh, we on one occasion we went to Garvey Island. Everybody thinks that the, you know a Hawk QY is a, a Pembrey weapons a, you know bombing instructor. That's not quite what it's what it is at all. And we were able to do all sorts of things like super elevating the gun and firing completely out of range and pushing through a five second burst. Nobody had ever done that. Nobody had fired the, the gun under zero g, and. Uh, we got some amazing results, you know, all through mathematics that we'd learned at the Air Warfare Centre. It was the start, really, of the Hawk becoming QI up phase for all of the different platforms. It was a great initiative from the Air Warfare Centre. Um, and it allowed all of the tactics to permeate down to the student level before they ever got to their full frontline platform. Mm -hmm.